Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, I was joking with Michelle and I said that uh, membership class and preaching, so I don't know if the membership class doesn't go well, do I still get to preach? So uh, I think it went all right. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And if you're able, please stand as we read together. Mark chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that you would open it up to us this morning, that we might see you through your word, and it might impact how we live this week. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first went to South America as a young missionary, I encountered what I would call for the first time real beggars. You know, these weren't your typical street kids or the guy in the corner trying to bum 50 cents for a coffee. This was abject poverty on every corner. Mentally challenged, deformed, crippled people, mothers with sick children on every street, on every corner. And in most parts of the world, unlike Canada, there's very few social programs, if any, to help these people. They're on their own. They've got to live and get by any way they can. I also learned that there was a number of people that tried to play off the sympathies of others. They pretended they were poor. They pretended they were in need to just rip you off to get money out of you. And I talked to another missionary because I said, as the son of a Scot married to the daughter of a Dutchman, I'm pretty tight with my money. I want to help people, but I want to make sure I help the right people. And he said something to me that I've remembered to this day. He said, if you're going to err, err on the side of generosity. Begging is nothing new. When you're down in your luck and you have no hope and no home and no resources and no job and nowhere else to go and nothing else to do, begging is your only option. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. In the New Testament, the Gospels record that Jesus personally healed about 31 individuals. Among them, there were lepers and blind and deaf and mute. There was the dead son of the widow of Nan, Peter's mother-in-law, the daughter of Jairus, the servant of the Roman centurion, paralytics, demon-possessed people, and beggars. And many of these people were on the edge of society. They were marginalized and judged as having done something to deserve the present condition in which they found themselves. They were excluded from the normal daily life within their community. And of these 31 or so people that Jesus healed personally, only three are named. There was Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus healed from evil spirits in Luke chapter 8. There was Lazarus, who he brought back from the dead in John chapter 11, and blind Bartimaeus, 
a beggar that we find here in Mark chapter 10. And in the ancient world, to be blind or to be deaf or to have leprosy or to be crippled was to be an outcast. It was considered to be marginalized in that society. It was the result of sin. It was a punishment from God. That's why in John chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, when Jesus encountered another blind man, blind from birth, his disciples said to him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were merely reflecting the common held position of that day. That if you were blind, or if you were crippled, or if you were deformed in some way, or you had leprosy or some other disease, you had done something to deserve that. It was God's punishment. Blindness was the result of sin, either you or your parents. And blindness was the punishment. And in our passage in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, we see four things of importance to note surrounding this encounter between Jesus and blind Bartimaeus begging in the street that help us understand and deal with our own blindness. But we'll get to that a little later. Let's start off. The first thing we see in verse 46 is the reality of blindness and beggars. Let's set our context. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples for the third time in this gospel, in verses 32 to 34, that he's going to die and rise again. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's heading to the cross. It's a focused journey. He knows what's about to happen. It's a busy time in Israel. Many are also heading to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover to make an offering at the temple as required by Jewish law. And from this point forward, all the events in the Gospel account take place in and around Jerusalem, focusing on the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus and his disciples and many others came to Jericho. It was that last stop before the uphill climb, a day's journey to Jerusalem. It was a major roadway that went to Jerusalem. And verse 46 says, they came to, Jeruc to Jericho to rest, to get some food, to get some water. Doesn't say how long they spent there. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. This encounter with blind Bartimaeus is the last that Jesus would have with anybody outside of those involved in the coming events in Jerusalem. In some ways, begging is a lot like real estate. It's all about location, location, location. If you were a beggar, you wanted to be on a main road, lots of traffic. The law of probability says the more people that go by, the better chance to get something. But pity the person that was blind. You're not sure what street you're on. You may be on a dead-end street, a one-way dead-end street, and nobody's going by. It was the law of averages. To be alongside a major roadway was key to survival. And there were lots of beggars. This wasn't unusual. This was similar to when I went to South America the first time. You see people on every corner, on every street, multiple people asking for things. What's different here, and what's interesting to note, is Mark's account in chapter 10. We have his name. He's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And his name is a bit of a play on words in the original. We might think his name is Bartimaeus, but it's really his family name. He is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. But the grammatical play here is that it's emphasized twice. He's the son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. It's a little bit like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. He repeats it for emphasis. And it's thought by some biblical scholars 
noting that the early church probably knew who he was. He was some way associated with the early church. That's why Mark emphasized his name. It was one beggar in the midst of many. And Mark emphasizes who he was, his family, who his father was. As I said, it wasn't unusual to see beggars, blind, crippled, asking for something. What's different here is that we have his name. He's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And most people wouldn't have taken note of one more blind beggar. There were lots of them. They probably would have just ignored them. They themselves became blind to the beggars in the street. They saw them so often, it just passed by. They didn't see them anymore. And Bartimaeus was unable to work. He was unable to provide for himself the necessities of life. Blindness took away his dignity, his value as a person. Within his culture, he was judged as having done something to deserve this. And he was totally dependent upon others for his survival. When I was in Lima, we lived in a, uh, a section of the city that you had to cross over a large hill that came down and there were three roads that came into one road and it was a traffic nightmare at the bottom. Well, that traffic nightmare and everybody just got into three roads trying to get down to one was prime location for people to ask for things. So when that light turned red at the bottom of that hill, dozens of people came running up to your car, children trying to sell you chiclets, people asking for money, people trying to sell you things. And a friend of mine who was a missionary said, I have to go through town and I have to go down that hill again. And he said to me, is the guy in the wheelchair still there? See, there was a guy in a wheelchair who was crippled. And word went through the Christian community that he somehow had become a believer. And this friend of mine said, I wanna help him. I wanna give him something. And I said, yeah, he's still there. So he went and uh, later that day I said, hey, did you see the guy? He said, yeah, let me tell you what happened. He got down there and it was a red light and everybody rushed up and he said, I called him over. I saw him and he's wheeling his wheelchair over the rough pavement trying to get there. And he said, I wanted to give him 10 solis. A 10 soli bill in Peru is worth about $3 in our money. But that was enough to get him by that day. It would have given him enough food for the day. And as he reached in his pocket to pull out that 10 soli bill, he pulled it out and realized he pulled out 100. Now, his first instinct was to put it back and fish around for the 10. But it was too late. The guy in the wheelchair saw him. Now what do you do? And as I laughed, he said to me, the reality is, Bill, he said, what's $30 to an American missionary? It's really nothing. But to a crippled man in Lima, Peru, it was life-changing. Err on the side of generosity. The problem is, the reality of blindness and beggars is that in the busyness of life, we become so easily blind to the needs of those around us in our busyness, that we ourselves become blind in some ways. The phrase familiarity breeds contempt is often used because we fail to see the needs of those around us. The second thing we see in this passage is a unique opportunity. And we see this in verses 47 and 48. Beggars were used to people passing by. Some stopped, some gave a few coins, but most just walked by. The blind could hear the shuffle of the feet of those approaching as they scurried along. They heard their conversations, at times their disdain for these dirty beggars, these sinners who have deserved what they have. And as Bartimaeus listened to the people chatting, he realized it was Jesus who was passing by and he recognized the unique opportunity. He obviously had heard about Jesus, maybe the wonderful works that he did, the miracles he did for others, but Bartimaeus was hopeless, 
and helpless in his condition. And now this same Jesus was passing by. It was a unique opportunity. He begins to cry out. Look what he says in verse 47. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's something different about the way he's begging. He's not asking for coins. He's not asking for food or clothing. He asks for mercy. He recognizes in Jesus something different. He was blind physically, but he saw what sight doesn't always reveal. He recognized who Jesus was. He called him by his messianic title, Jesus, son of David. Only 17 verses in the New Testament use this term. The, son, the term son of David is more than a statement of his physical genealogy. It's a messianic title. It's the long-awaited deliverer, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. This is who we are waiting for. Second, he recognized what Jesus could do for him. Asking for money or clothes or food would only help for today. It wouldn't change his condition. Asking for mercy was something deeper. It revealed an expectant faith that Bartimaeus had as Jesus approached. And thirdly, he cried out an expectation. He demonstrates an understanding of the nature of God toward those who are in need. Psalm 34, verse 6, says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 18 of the same psalm, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. You know, the religious leaders unlike those who cried out in faith, were so blinded by their own religious pride that they couldn't see what a blind beggar saw, that here before them was the long-awaited Savior, the one that they had supposedly been waiting for and failed to recognize who he was. They hated Jesus because he wouldn't honor them for their religious position, the honor they thought they deserved. They hated him when they heard people hailing him as the Savior. In Matthew 21, 15, it says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, listen, they saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, they were angry, they were outraged, they were irate. They saw the wonderful things that he did, but they were irate when they heard the children hailing him as the Savior. And as Bartimaeus was crying out, he was told by several to pipe down, be quiet. He's making a nuisance of himself. I guess there must have been some sort of etiquette in begging. Maybe asking quietly was okay. Maybe just putting your hand out. But crying out, well, that's over the top. And people told him to be quiet. Maybe even some of the disciples told him to be quiet. But even this didn't stop him. He went all the louder, hoping to be heard, and it worked. Because look what verse 49 says. And Jesus stopped and said, call him, call him. This leads to the third point in this encounter between this blind beggar Bartimaeus and Jesus. And in verses 49 to 51, we see an inquiring question. Jesus stops. Remember, his eyes are focused on Jerusalem. His mission to fulfill his messianic calling. The cross lies ahead. He's not looking for distractions. This is not a teachable moment like the Sermon on the Mount. He's not looking to do yet another miracle. He's got his eyes and the weight of the world on his shoulders as he's thinking about what's going to happen. The passion, the cross, the resurrection. But he stops. 
for this one poor blind beggar. And the crowd is surprised. And Bartimaeus is even more surprised. They say, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And he jumps up and he's led to Jesus. And I love this passage because it reveals the heart and the love that God has for each of us in our brokenness and in our failure and in our sin and in our blindness. And Jesus calls and says, come here. Not because of who he was, not because of what Bartimaeus did, but because of who Jesus is. In a sea of voices and hurried activity, of people on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, in a town filled with travelers and beggars and all sorts of people, one poor blind man cries out, and Jesus says, call him, come to me. And that's what he does for you and I today. I love the passage in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our Heavenly Father is never too busy, never too preoccupied that he doesn't call us when we cry out in faith. And so Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak. He jumps up and he's led to Jesus. And Jesus asks him this inquiring question, what do you want me to do for you? And I think this question is unique for a couple of reasons. Jesus doesn't ask, what do you want? It's not about material things. It's not about God being some cosmic sugar daddy waiting to give me everything I want and all my desires. The question builds on the faith of Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And the question is not limited in its scope. Ask what you want. So Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the one who sat on the roadside dependent upon others for his very survival, now answers Jesus in verse 51. Look what he says. Ravi, let me recover my sight. What a contrast to Jesus' own disciples, James and John, when Jesus asks them the very same question, look over the page at verse 36, Mark chapter 10. What do you want me to do for you? See, they come to Jesus and they say to him, we want to ask you something, but you have to say yes. It's a little bit like when your kids do that, right? They come to you and say, Daddy, I want to ask you a question, but you have to say yes. Well, tongue in cheek, you go, okay, ask away. But what did James and John ask for? Let us sit at your right hand, your left hand in the kingdom was the wrong answer. They asked for power and prestige. Bartimaeus asked for mercy. They asked for special recognition. Bartimaeus asked for mercy. Theirs was a selfish request based on personal image, power, prestige. And the result of them asking that was jealousy among the disciples. They themselves became indignant, there's that word again, irate and angry toward the disciples in verse 41. So Jesus then teaches them a little bit what it means to be great in the kingdom. And he says in verses 43 and 45 of Mark chapter 10, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Bartimaeus had no such illusions of grandeur or greatness. He's a blind beggar. And he approaches Jesus and he calls him Rabbi or Rabboni in other translations. The more respectful word of the word Rabbi, my teacher, my Lord. 
And Bartimaeus asked for his sight. His faith is much bigger than a few coins or food for today. Sight, it would allow him to be restored to dignity as a person. It would allow him to be not dependent upon others. He could now work for himself. It would restore him to the value of his community and it would forever remove the social stigma of blindness and begging. And isn't that what the gospel does for each of us today? In our encounter with Jesus, we are restored to a right relationship with our heavenly father. The stigma of being outside, of being judged, is forever removed. We belong. We are no longer on the outside, under the power and the penalty of sin. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians talking about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Talking about our position in Christ. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Those are powerful words. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever felt on the outside, not belonging? And in our encounter with Jesus, he calls us and he says, we are no longer on the outside. We are part of the family of God. And that's what Jesus does for each of us in our encounter with him. The fourth thing we see in this passage, in verse 52, is a renewed sight. Verse 52 says, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. It was his faith that healed him. Not his good works, not his religious observance, not recognizing who Jesus was. It was his faith that saves him and it is our faith that saves you and I today. Paul again writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verses 89 says, by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that you can't boast in anything. And the answer to Bartimaeus's question is dramatic. It's immediately, he recovers his sight and he followed Jesus. He joined the crowd and he followed him on the way, most likely anticipating going to Jerusalem in joy and presenting a gift at the temple for the healing of his sight. He recognized who Jesus was. He realized what Jesus could do for him. He cried out in expectation and Jesus responded. You know, the problem with blindness is that you don't have to be physically blind to not be able to see. You can be spiritually blind. You fail to see your need of Jesus. You think, I'm okay, I'm not a thief, I'm not a murderer, I'm better than most of the people, but you're still eternally lost. But you don't have to be. Secondly, you can be religiously blind like the Pharisees and other religious leaders. You think it's your religious observance that makes you better, makes you okay with God. Maybe you have a big Bible you bring to church or you have a Jesus fish in the back of your bumper, but you're still lost. You're religiously blind. One Christian author noted you can be religious and lost at the same time. You can have the Bible in your head and not have Christ in your heart. You can be filled with spiritual pride in yourself, but your faith is merely a religious facade for Sundays. And thirdly, you can be intellectually blind. 
You can have an overinflated view of yourself. It's your education or your possessions or your accomplishments, your achievements. This is what makes me better than others. This is what pleases God. This is what makes me okay in God's eyes. But again, the problem with blindness is that you don't have to be physically blind to not be able to see. And we're all in danger of falling into these types of blindness because we're human. And without a vibrant daily walk with Jesus, we're in danger of going spiritually blind, religiously blind, intellectually blind. So let me give you four preventative cures for blindness. First, recognize your need of Jesus. Not just for salvation, but every day in every situation. There are no self-made men and women. We need Jesus. We can't sit and rest on our accomplishments, our possessions, our education, who we are. Each of us is lost and we need Jesus. And he can save us. He will hear when we cry out. He's never too busy, never too occupied to not hear us. Secondly, recognize who you are. We're just sinners saved by grace through faith, not in what we do. We're not good because of our acts or coming to church or reading the Bible. Thirdly, recognize what Jesus can do for you. Call out to him in faith, in expectation, asking for the right thing. Bartimaeus asked for mercy. It would have been so easy to ask for a big mansion, a big pool, a really nice car, a really fat bank account. Now, what else would I want? Because he's asking me, he's not limiting me what I want to ask for. But at the end of the day, he's still blind. He asked for the right thing. He asked for something better, for mercy. Recognize what Jesus can do for you. And fourthly, recognize the joy in following Jesus. When our eyes are focused on Jesus, our circumstances of life and the problems we have seem much less. Recognize the joy in following Jesus in all circumstances. When we have joy in Jesus, it's not the circumstances that determine our happiness. As I travel around the world and I met with Christians in a number of different countries, I'm always amazed and humbled at the joy people had in Jesus. People that had very little of this world's material things. People that had very little freedom, like we have freedom in Canada. People that had very few opportunities like we have in Canada, yet they were filled with a joy that transcended all that this life has, good or bad, because they had a focus on Jesus. And at the edge of the city of Jericho, a poor blind beggar recognized this. Do we? His life was forever changed, both in the present and eternally, and so can ours if we call on Jesus, asking for the right thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this encounter with blind Bartimaeus. We might begin to see areas in which we suffer spiritual blindness and I pray that we would recognize who you are, our need of you, what you can do for us and the joy of following you each day. Lord, I pray that you would give us vision even this week to see things that we haven't seen before that we might see you in a new way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.